Cretaceous layers, so three categories there in the Mesozoic. The genus Homo, so essentially modern humans, Homo sapiens and the other Homo varieties, they don't show up in the fossil record until much higher in the geologic column. They would say 63 million years later. And so no human ever saw a dinosaur in the conventional definition of the, uh, of the term dinosaur. We were separated by 63 million years. But again, the Bible implies that's not right because the earth isn't even 100,000 years old, much less millions. And so as Bible believers, we would predict that there would be evidences of human and dinosaur coexistence. And since the, since the earth is only uh, six to 8,000 years old, those evidences would be from the relatively recent past. And so sure enough, our prediction has been verified many times over. We've looked briefly at historical evidences that humans interacted with dinosaurs over the past few millennia since the flood. Historians recording eyewitness accounts of these creatures that they call dragons with the characteristics of dinosaurs, but long before, remember the term dinosaur had even been coined, tales of dinosaurs or dragons um, being slayed across the planet, some that go all the way back to the time right after the flood. We've looked at a small sampling of the many physical evidences of the recent existence of the dinosaurs, so your ancient archaeological artifacts that are developed by humans which portray known dinosaur species with amazing accuracy, artifacts created long before scientists even knew of the proper anatomy of these species in many cases, figures and carvings and so forth. We examine biblical evidence of the recent existence of the dinosaurs and their interaction with humans, the description of behemoth and the water-dwelling reptile Leviathan in the book of Job, which was likely written around the time of Abraham some 4,000 years ago. Uh, Genesis 1, which informs us that all land-dwelling creatures, which would include your dinosaurs, were created on day six alongside human. And finally, we examine fossil evidences that perfectly fit creationist predictions, soft, stretchy tissue, blood cells, and collagen that have been found in several dinosaur, pterosaur, and marine reptile species in the Mesozoic rock layers over the last few years, supposed to be 265 to 250 million years old, which would be an impossible feat um, to be sure. So when we look at the fossil record, we see tens of thousands of remnants of these creatures, and we know they existed relatively recently but we see no evidence of their existence today. So where did they go? That is the question that everyone, of course, is asking. What happened to the dinosaurs? Why did they go extinct? And there's lots of theories out there, uh, but how do creationists answer the question? So while we, would, while we know from archeological, historical, biblical, and some fossil evidence that they lived after the flood, they clearly did not thrive after the flood. And so most of the dinosaurs were wiped out in the flood. So does the evidence support that theory? And what else can we learn about the demise of the dinosaurs? Well, that is precisely the question 
being studied by creation geologists and creation paleontologists in Wyoming. In 2014 and 2016, I had the opportunity to participate in geologic field expeditions and dinosaur fossil excavation out there, traveling up to eastern Wyoming with uh, paleontologist Dr. Kurt Wise to study the Lance Formation. He is a, a Harvard, he has his PhD from Harvard and, got, and studied under the late Stephen Jay Gould, who's a famous evolutionist from the 20th century, and we quote him a lot in our materials. So we traveled to the Lance Formation. What is that and what does it matter? Uh, the Lance Formation is several layers of rock in the, in the Cretaceous rock system. Remember we showed your Triassic, Jurassic, Cretaceous. This is several layers of rock in those Cretaceous rock layers that creationists believe were, were some of the last layers being deposited in the flood even though there is some debate over uh, exactly where the end of the flood is. The formation is found, again, at the top of the Cretaceous system in the geologic column, just under what is called the KT boundary that I talked about, or KPG boundary, where your Cretaceous rocks meet your what you call your tertiary rock system. Now, that is the location of a mysterious extinction event that secular geologists believe occurred 65 million years ago that wiped out the dinosaurs and in fact 75% of all other plant and animal species on the, on the planet, which what we mean by that is you don't see fossils of those creatures above that line. So they assume something happened that wiped out all those, just caused extinction to occur to 75% of the plant and animal species on the planet. So creation scientists argue that that is, again, probably what is representing the end of the flood a few thousand years ago. And you find many, many dinosaur fossils there in the Lance Formation where we're studying, uh, where this excavation took place. Triceratops, Edmontosaurus, and Tyrannosaurus are typical fossil finds. We actually were digging up Triceratops. Two different skulls were being uh, dug up while I was there that summer, those two summers. And this is one of those, um, so he's upside down. It's a picture of Triceratops being thrown around like a sack of potatoes and being buried essentially face down. And so you know something pretty catastrophic is happening in order to cause that. And uh, so they dug this up and then, and then they, they brought it back to a museum for preservation down in Texas where they'll glue it together and make casts of it. And uh, <clears throat> they even let my little guy uh, get on the horn and ride that thing. Uh, that's pretty cool. And stand on it. So this is just rock, right? It's totally fossilized, unless you break it open and find something inside, which they have done that on some Triceratops horns. Now the most exciting evidence is for the flood that we found in these, these um, expeditions are these special layers within the, the uh, Lance Formation that are called seismites. And there's quite a few of these rock layers, uh, more than 25 distinct layers, in fact. And seismites are a relatively new idea. Geologists haven't even been studying those for very long. But seismites form when you have an earthquake that vibrates a, la a layer of, of wet sediment. So think about, say, wet sand along the shoreline and so a, an earthquake happens and it shakes that sand and then <clears throat> it, it'll settle and the water within it starts coming up out of it 
kind of like uh, little, little volcanoes, right? So if the sand were then to dry out and turn to stone or lithify, and then it either erodes away or you just cut the sandstone in two and you start looking at the, the layers that were formed, you see these squiggly lines called convolutions that form where it shows you what happened to the water as this earthquake was going on. These are called fluid evulsion structures. And so when you have major earthquakes today, uh, like Alaska 1964, 8.2 magnitude earthquake, big earthquake, it'll create seismites like that when you have that wet kind of sediment. So that Alaskan earthquake 1964 made a seismite that was about 11 inches in, in thickness. And that's typical whenever geologists will study seismites from major earthquakes today. You find just these thin layers like that. So if the flood happened, we would make a prediction. We would expect there to be seismites in the flood layers because they form where you have wet sediment and where you have earthquake activity, both of which, of course, we would expect during the flood. All the fountains of the great deep are breaking forth, uh, Genesis 7:11, and you're, you're expecting, we think that's when plate tectonics actually began. So you got the plates smashing into each other, you got mountains forming and so forth. And so this is, this is what we call catastrophic plate tectonics. So secular guys today, you'll learn about plate tectonic theory, but creationists would say catastrophic plate tectonics, that much of the Earth's plates have moved around much faster during the flood, and that's what formed the mountains and so forth. I don't have time to get into that. I'd go into that more in depth in, a, in my creation seminar, but we would say that if all that happened, you're going to expect major seismites to exist in the flood and uh, in any of the flood sediment. You're going to find those, and you're going to expect to find a lot of them. Well, again, that's exactly what we find in the lance formation, but there's a catch. These aren't 11 or 12 inch thick. These are mega seismites. These are several meters thick. These are so huge that there is no modern reference point of the kind of power in an earthquake that would have had to occur to, a cause, to cause these seismites. So you know there was a lot of water in this area covering uh, enough sediment to make several meters of soggy sand, which suggests this is something that isn't typical for that area. And number two, several major earthquakes, mega quakes. Again, we found over the, the years I went, there were seven layers and they expanded that. Now they think there's at least 25 of these distinct seismite layers on top of each other out there, probably corresponding to the Rocky Mountains being formed is what our thinking is. So this is proof of major catastrophic activity involving lots of earthquake, lot of water activity. And it highlights for you and this is where we're going with this, it highlights for you the circumstances that were in effect when the dinosaurs are being wiped out, right? The dinosaur fossils in Wyoming, for example, are sandwiched in between the seismite layers and some of them are actually sticking out of the seismite layers. So these dinosaurs are caught in the midst of major seismic activity uh, likely the very activity, again, that's forming the, the mountains of the West. And so we're, we're seeing the kind of power here that explains why you don't usually find dinosaurs articulated. You find them blown up. 
there was so much power being released by the, probably the tectonic plates moving that it literally just blows up these massive T-Rexes and stuff where they're just shredded, uh, blown to bits. Well, how would evolutionists respond to this? Well, recall that the KT boundary crosses the area we're studying and it's the line above which there are no known dinosaur fossils and so secular scientists believe something happened at that point uh, that, that affected the entire earth, which by the way is catastrophism, not uniformitarianism. You see anything happen today that wipes out 75% of the species on the planet? No, that doesn't happen today. This is catastrophic activity and even they have to say that. But they say, or at least a lot of them are arguing for a massive meteorite impact that occurred there because you find a massive crater off the coast of Mexico that appears to line up precisely with the KT boundary. It's called the Chicxulub Crater. And so this is a representation of that meteorite. It's a secular portrayal. We would say that when this meteorite hit, assuming it is a meteorite, this is likely towards the very end of the flood, which means the earth probably still even could have had a lot of water on it that hadn't yet receded. So anyway, they would predict there to be a seismite as proof of the shockwave from that impact. But that prediction doesn't fit the facts at the Lance Formation in Wyoming. For one, why are there 25 distinct seismites? So now you've you got to have a lot more meteorite activity, which the, the biblical model we can explain. Again, I talk about meteorites in the flood. Uh, there's a lot of evidence that most of the meteorite impacts that have ever been in Earth history occurred during the flood. So meteorite activity was a major part of what happened, apparently. May have been even what initiated the flood, for all we know. But seismites form in water-drenched sediment, which means the rock layers in Wyoming were, had to already be underwater when this meteorite, the Chicxulub crater, that, you know, that formed the Chicxulub crater, when that impact occurred. So why was... Wyoming underwater when the meteorite occurs in order to be able to form this seismite. Now you would expect a, a tsunami from the meteorite impact after the impact occurs, but you would ex expect it to affect the southeastern U.S. states, but not dry land literally thousands of miles away from the meteorite impact. So why was Wyoming covered with water before it hit? Well, the meteorite impact does not explain that. You got to have something else causing that whole area to be wet and multiple impacts to be occurring, which again, it fits better to say that's the Rocky Mountains forming quickly during the flood. Uh, the other field trip I was able to go on uh, during that time, 2015, back to the same area where they're still studying the Lance Formation, studying the seismites. There is a creation geologist out there named Dr. Art Chadwick, and his team has excavated over 20,000 dinosaur fossils from a single ranch out there, one ranch. Uh, Dwayne Bryant, who does some writing for us in uh, archaeology, was able to come along as well as one of our interns. By the way, uh, any of you young people that are at least 16, if you're uh, thinking especially about going into the sciences in college, you might think about doing an internship with me over the summers um, because you get to go with me to do any of the kind of stuff I'm studying. I've been studying caves for the last few years and also go with me to the creation science conferences where you get to see the leading creation scientists and the research they're doing that helps to verify the flood. Uh, so check with me if you're interested in that. 
Uh, Dr. Mike Houts came with us as well, who's a member of the church and a nuclear engineer that works at NASA. And we got to go up there and assist in the dinosaur excavation there. So Chadwick is a professor at a denominational university down there in Texas. And this highlights the fact that really the leaders in the creation science community are not members of the church. And the, because the church really has not been involved enough in creation science. But he teaches geology courses including a course on dinosaurs and creation. And then each summer he brings students up to Wyoming for a month. They actually probably just began that this week. And they camp out in tents at this site and excavate dinosaur fossils during the day and then hear lectures on the dinosaurs during the evening. And so we came during that period to help out. So as with my trip to Wyoming in 2014, we're working in Cretaceous sediment and the Lance Formation, and this is sediment thought to be laid down towards the end of the flood, and this is one of the primary spots in the world where you find Triceratops, and then also T-Rex, and you find Nanotyrannus, and you find your Pachycephalosaurus, and then you find lots of Edmontosaurus. Um, this is a maxillary of an Edmontosaurus that I'm digging up uh, there. So the upper jawbone of what we think is a hadrosaur, probably an Edmontosaurus from that area. So we were able to dig up lots of dinosaur fossils there, teeth and, and even fossilized tendons that you find there. And so we're very interested in, in uh, AP is and have been for several years now, getting in the mix on, on the creation science movement and the kind of field work that's going on, getting the Brotherhood involved uh, because we're interested in maybe having a creation research center in the future that'll do this kind of work. So let me know if you're interested in helping us with that, uh, especially the funding aspect. Uh, I've actually got a young man that is uh, working on his, uh, going towards a PhD in geology that's going to be probably working with us if we can pull that off. So on this ranch where we went, uh, Dr. Chadwick is overseeing the excavation there, what we would call, again, flood sediment, and there's five different fossil quarries, basically dinosaur graveyards that are being excavated. And dozens of dinosaur fossils are dug up and carefully documented every day over the summer. And so this picture on the left is one of those fossil quarries where you can see the fossils in the positions they were found with the dirt around them removed. And so as you can see, we're talking thousands of fossils. This is the quarry I was working in. Uh, so the excavation team documents the location of each fossil very carefully using GPS and take pictures of each fossil and then develop 3D representations of each of these and then put them back into the picture based on the coordinates that they took so that Dr. Chadwick can get the big picture of what happened to these dinosaurs as they're being wiped out in the flood. And so there's actually depth to these pictures. We're just looking from above a bird's eye view. So some of these aren't on exactly the same plane Here's another couple of the quarries. So based on what has been excavated over the last few years and by making estimates over the area concerning what is left to be excavated, he estimates that there are over 5,000 dinosaurs represented in this area where he's already dug up, again, over 20,000 fossils. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems to me that something pretty catastrophic had to happen to drown massive creatures obliterate them, turn them into little bits and pieces and dump them in this ranch. This is not some slow and gradual process. This isn't uniformitarianism. This is something uh, catastrophic that involves a lot of water. And keep in mind, this is where the seismites are found too. 
you've got major catastrophe and power going on, killing, wiping out the dinosaurs. Now, the standard secular explanation that you'll see in this area out there in the West is that oh, these dinosaurs are, are being, they're gradually uh, drowning because they're trying to cross the river during flood season and then the water just carries them down, you know, you know, lazily carries them down the water and then they start getting deposited. Okay, so again, you can make predictions that'll either verify or falsify your, your, your theory to see whether that fits. We'd make predictions, they'd make predictions, you can see which theory fits better. Okay, so they would say that, see, that's, that's how you could explain this without some kind of major global catastrophe. Well, okay, let's look at the actual data and see whether that bears it out. Okay, if these creatures have been killed and then they're obliterated, their bones are getting transported down the river, what would you expect to see? Well, you'd expect the bones to be oriented in a river-type orientation. As things go down the river, they orient themselves in a certain way. We see this happening. And yet that's not what you find with these bones. They're found randomly oriented. So keep in mind, he is... Of the thousands of bones that he is excavating, they take multiple GPS points. You know exactly which way they're oriented. You know exactly how they've been found. This is done very meticulously. And the bones are not found in a current-like orientation. And also, they're not found piled up as though on a river bend. They're randomly distributed over the entire area. So if you take the sites that he has excavated which grow uh, each year, here's his excavation sites. And then you go ahead and extrapolate to the areas that he hasn't yet excavated, but which we have every reason to believe we're gonna continue to find what we found so far, you have this. Okay, and these bones are found what we call disarticulated. So what that means is the skeleton of the whole intact dinosaur isn't found. Remember, that's a, a rarity to ever find that. Instead, the bones are separated, isolated from each other, and most of the time shredded into little bits and pieces. So if corpses are piling up on a river bend just from being drowned, they're not being totally obliterated by something catastrophic, and in order to preserve those dinosaurs, you have to get them buried rapidly there, because what happens if you run over an armadillo on the road? It doesn't fossilize, it has to be Fossilization requires special circumstances. You've got to bury it quickly to preserve it from oxygen and from critters and from water and so forth. You've got to get that buried and, and, and uh, uh, sequestered. So you've got to do that then to these dinosaurs. Otherwise, they're going to tend to not fossilize. So something has to fossilize them quickly. They've got to be buried quickly. Well, if that's the case, you'd expect at least some of these bones to be found articulated. I mean, surely you would find some partial skeletons, but again, that's not what you find. You have disarticulated bones. So their prediction is not bearing out. And if the dinosaur corpses were being successively piled up each year from successive floods, like uh, local floods during the high river periods, you'd expect there to be animals in layers where you have bone beds on top of each other representing successive events. But again, that's not what you find. Instead, guess what you find? The dinosaur fossils are in a single, what we call a graded bone bed. And what that means is 
the, the uh, bigger, heavier uh, fossils are found lower and then they get smaller as you go up. You know what causes that? That, that is what we see today. What we know causes that is a single event that will destroy a lot of things and then move it a long distance and it organizes the bones as it goes, like a mudslide. So the heavier stuff, because of gravity, it'll tend to, tend to drop down in the mud flow and the lighter stuff will tend to stay up tall or up high. So you have a single graded bed that is formed by some kind of major catastrophe involving a lot of water that can tear up 5,000 dinosaurs and dump them on this ranch. So notice the predictions fit exactly what we would expect, not what they expect. Every one of the predictions totally falsifies their theory about how the, what happened to these dinosaurs. So the model that fits the facts is a single catastrophic flood of water in mud. And so such an event like that would be capable of creating a single graded bone bed like the one that, that we find these dinosaurs are in it would be capable of creating the type and structure of stone we see these dinosaur layers in. This is sedimentary rock uh, and capable of causing the seismites we find in these rock layers, capable of causing the mudslides that would uh, catastrophically bury some 5,000 dinosaurs and preserve them for fossilization. So one other thing before um, we close this session out here in a few minutes. Would, would, would dinosaurs have been on the ark, right? And if so, how would they fit? Uh, they're huge, right? Well, creation scientists know with a high level of confidence where in the geologic strata the flood begins. Uh, nobody really debates that. Um, it's pretty clear in the geologic column. We think the Cambrian strata begins the flood. The Precambrian is before the flood, okay? So we're talking probably mainly day three rock that God is directly creating. Uh, any kind of sedimentary rock that was formed uh, between creation and 1600 years later at the flood was probably eroded away at the flood. And then right here, to all intents and purposes, that is where the fossil record begins. And so you have this line separating your Cambrian uh, rocks from Precambrian, which are your proto Proterozoic and so forth below that. So above that line then is your, what we think is your flood sediment. So where are the dinosaur fossils found? Well, they're found in those flood strata. So think through the implications of that. Uh, so by the way, uh, one of the, right here, this line Interestingly, we call it the Great Unconformity, and it is a, a, an erosional surface that extends not only across the U.S., but it jumps over and goes across the whole planet. This massive erosional surface, and then above that line is an, an ex, the fossil record basically begins. It's this explosion of fully formed creatures without any evolutionary history. And it you know, obviously concerns evolutionists because that basically begins the fossil record. They don't start from single-celled organisms that turn in, no. They start out fully formed, very diverse and very complex, like the trilobite that has an aplanatic eye lens that's more complicated than the human eye, that's found at the very bottom. So that's across the whole planet, and then all of a sudden you got all these sedimentary rock layers, as though there's some kind of worldwide water event 
that obliterates everything on the planet and starts burying them. Uh, so if somebody wants to ask me about the fossil record during the Q&A, remind me and we can talk about that a little bit more, what you find and how you, how you explain all this from a creationist perspective. Anyway, you have this great unconformity and then all of a sudden, boom, you got this explosion of life. We believe that is obviously the beginning of the flood. It's pretty, it's pretty clear. You got this erosional surface, you got sedimentary rock, you got this explosion of life from a worldwide catastrophe, it makes sense. So the dinosaur fossils are found in the flood strata. What does that mean? Well, it means the dinosaurs must have been alive when the flood hit. And so if we're correct that they are land-dwelling creatures, then they must have been represented on the ark. You see that reasoning? I mean, the Bible doesn't come out and say, and Noah brought dinosaurs. It doesn't say that. We're now looking at the physical evidence and we're reasoning through, okay, this appears to be where the flood begins, which would mean the dinosaurs must be alive, which means they must have been on the ark. And then we find the archeological evidence of that, which we've already looked at, that's post-flood, that's after the flood stuff going on. So they're alive, and as beasts in which is the breath of life, Genesis 7, 14 and 15, they're brought onto the ark. So how do they fit? And there's lots of theories out there about that. Maybe the SS Noah, Noah's Ark 2 sank, right? That's one of the options there. Or maybe this theory explains. Uh... Everybody awake? Young people, you paint. <clears throat> uh, on the website for my new book, Flooded, I have a couple dozen videos that supplement the material. And so we made this three-minute video to answer the question of how the dinosaurs fit on the ark. So I'll just let, uh, we have the audio ready to roll on this? Okay. The evolutionary model alleges that dinosaurs went extinct 65 to 66 million years ago, and humans only evolved on the scene two to three million years ago. The biblical creation model, however, argues that God made both humans and dinosaurs on day six of creation week only six to eight thousand years ago, Genesis 1, 24 to 28. According to fossil record, dinosaurs were still alive since their fossils, including footprints, are found in the rock layers that were laid down in the flood. If they were alive when the flood began, then as land animals, they must have been represented on the ark. So that truth gives many people pause. How in the world do you fit sauropod dinosaurs, the enormous long-necked, long-tailed dinosaurs like Patasaurus, Argentinosaurus, Brachiosaurus, and Titanosaurus, how do you fit them on the ark? Sauropod dinosaurs could reach lengths of 130 feet and heights up to 60 feet, with giraffes only reaching heights of 16 to 18 feet. Their weights are estimated to have been up to 120 metric tons. While the largest land animal today, the savannah elephant, weighs less than 11 metric tons. How did sauropod dinosaurs fit on the ark? Well, because the depictions we usually see of dinosaurs are portraits of the biggest adult dinosaurs because they're tools. Most people don't realize that, number one, the average size of a dinosaur is about the size of an American bison. And number two, they don't start out huge. On display here at Holland Express, we have a replica of a 
a can of sword, sword pod, and as you can see, the sword pod dinosaurs start out much smaller at birth. This is an embryo diorama of a titanosaur just prior to its birth. To give you an idea of what a baby titanosaur would look like in its egg. Well, it's likely that the dinosaurs on the ark were juveniles because number one, they take up less space. Number two, they would make less waste. Number three, they would require less food. And number four, because younger animals would survive longer after the flood, allowing them to live long enough to begin repopulating the earth as God wanted to be done. So bottom line, if they were in juvenile form, there's no problem fitting sauropod dinosaurs on the earth. More information, check out our website at ologyxpress.org. So it makes sense that they would be juvenile, um, I, which I think the, obviously the space, how much food and all would be required is a big deal, but you gotta keep in mind, God wants to repopulate the earth and so you're gonna need younger animals to do that so they have time to do their thing. So the next question, most of the dinosaurs perished in the flood, but some were on the ark. Now, if they were on the ark, where did they go after the flood. Well, we've already seen evidence that they were around after the flood. You got your artifacts and stories that provide evidence of those interactions, but it's clear that they didn't thrive after the flood. And so for the most part, they, they disappeared within a few centuries after the flood. I think it's interesting that um, early on, when you, the closer you get to the flood, you hear the, the stories of the dragons over there in the, in the Middle East type area, but then um, they would have left from there and populated, populated the most remote areas away from that. So a lot of the later legends and so forth come from places way away from there, uh, from the Middle East. So I would suggest that the dinosaurs went and filled up populations way away before they could be uh, encountered by humans. So you find them in South America, you find them here in the Western US, way away from where the ark would have been up in England, you find them. So they, they seem to have survived for longer because they were able to go and, and start populating those areas before humans got there. But one of, the, one of the big things to keep in mind about the dinosaurs, based on the modern uh, flood model that I briefly mentioned there, catastrophic plate tectonics, we would say that the flood would have caused a major ice age uh, and you guys could ask me about that if you have questions about that during the Q&A as well. But following the flood, this would have probably gone on for five to 700 years. And an environment like that would probably not be ideal for your larger reptiles like your dinosaurs if they weren't close to the equator at that time. And so the ice from the ice age is thought to have stretched from the poles down over about 30% of the Earth's uh, continents. And it's also likely that there wouldn't have been enough vegetation to sustain the appetites for the larger dinosaurs in the post-flood world. And we know that the post-flood world was very much different from the pre-flood world and that the post-flood world was not as conducive to long life and health. When you look, for example, at the genealogies in Genesis 5 compared to what appears to be an exponential decay in the Genesis 10 and 11 genealogies. So whatever happens in the flood, either due to the radiation that's released due to what's, you know, remember we have a lot of accelerated nuclear decay going on, explaining why the rocks look older than they really are. So that may have significantly affected um, uh, all life 
Who knows what kind of genetic issues were caused by what happened in the flood. So Genesis 5 genealogies are showing a 900 year lifespan and Genesis 10 and 11 shows much uh, shorter. So maybe the changes on earth were not good for the dinosaurs. Another very plausible uh, explanation is hunters. When we read Genesis 10, eight through nine, where it's giving the genealogies of humanity between the flood and Abraham, it mentions this guy Nimrod, this passing statement about this guy, I think is significant. You know, nothing God would choose to tell us would be frivolous without reason. So this Nimrod guy is highlighted uh, because of his hunting prowess. He's called a mighty one on the earth. And so when I read that growing up, I'm picturing him being out in Africa on a safari hunting lions or something. But when we understand that when he's living, things are different. This is immediately after the flood. And you have these enormous dinosaurs roaming the earth during that period. And God uses important space and holy writ to highlight this mighty hunter. I imagine that Nimrod might have been hunting game much more formidable than lions. Uh, God had formally authorized a carnivorous diet at this point, And so man could eat meat and food might have been more scarce on the earth for some time. So what better source of meat than your larger animals? All right, um, I did want to highlight for you guys a, a few of our resources. Advanced Bible Readers, our free uh, resource we have on our website that allows you to read the Bible and read our, our AP materials and take quizzes that'll grade them for you and test your knowledge on that. And you get, get points and, and get awarded certificates and so forth for doing that. A great tool you could use if you haven't seen that. We also have our, our youth camp one to make sure you're aware of. It actually begins tomorrow. I'm heading straight from here to our youth camp. Uh, it fills up pretty quick if you're not aware of that. Uh, Dinosaur Delusion, I've already highlighted. My book, Science Versus Evolution, uh, dismantles um, four of the fundamental plagues that undergird evolutionary theory and shows you the science does not support that. And I already mentioned to you our new book, Behemoth and Leviathan. We also have some um, video type materials that would be useful to you um, young people, including now we have um, a lot of um, short videos that are more like two to five, six minute videos with you guys in mind, we've developed, you know, these shorter videos that don't take you as much time to, to wade through. We actually have a new website. This is actually our old one. So new website, state of the art, as well as you can sign up for our free uh, weekly newsletter that'll let you know about our latest articles and products. Keep in mind that the point of, of our existence is merely to make it where you have what you need to teach others and to defend your own faith. So be sure to make use of that. We have an app, uh, you guys that have smart devices, be sure to get our AP app so that you have at your finger, fingertips the tools you need to strengthen your faith and answer the questions that you might uh, have through the years. Again, let me know if any of you guys are interested in this internship and be sure to jot down any questions you might have. Uh, you know, dinosaurs, again, are like the poster child of evolution as though they're as though their mere existence validates evolution. But really the existence of these guys fit perfectly with scripture. And, and we can't forget, uh, you know, dinosaurs are not just about fighting evolution. Everything God created had a purpose behind it. Uh, Romans 1.20 tells us that God's invisible attributes are understood 
by looking at the things that he made. We can learn, by doing science, we can learn about our God. Uh, Psalm 111.2, the works of the Lord, the things God has done are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. He wants us to study the amazing things he's done. We learn a lot of things about him. We learn about how great he is. We learn about how holy he is. When you study the flood, uh, as much as I've studied the flood over the last few years, my big takeaway is make sure that you're trying to live a holy life because we serve a holy God. And um, like whenever I see a mountain now, I don't see, oh, that's beautiful. I see, whoa, now I understand how that formed in the flood and the power. And when I look at seismites and I see entire T-Rexes that have been obliterated by the power of the flood, I'm reminded that we serve a holy God that doesn't want us to live in sin. <laughs> it's a big deal. But on the other hand, you also see the grace of God and the, and the fact that Noah trusted and obeyed that's all that God's ever required, trust and obey. And as long as we're willing to do that, then he'll manifest his grace towards us as he did to, uh, to Noah and his family. All right, so we'll have the Q&A after, uh, after we eat. And real quick, the kids, are, the kids are about to come in here for their closing session. But I do want to remind something, this hasn't necessarily been, uh, you know, we haven't been talking about what the Bible teaches about salvation and baptism and becoming a Christian and all that. But I also know that for some of us, maybe sometimes being confronted with some of the scientific evidence can really make you think about what direction your life is going and what's most important to you. I'm not offering an invitation song right now, but if that's something you're thinking about, if you're thinking about becoming a Christian, tell somebody. Tell your friend who's sitting beside you who's already a Christian. Tell your parents, come tell me, come tell Jared, find one of us, and we want to make sure that you're taken care of if that's something that's been on your mind, or if you just have more questions and want to do more study, we can do that. Um, real quick, uh, Zachary, if you would come on up, he's going to leave some prayer, give us a couple of instructions for getting the food. Heather is, um, she said that if you unloaded the dishwasher, you're in trouble. No, I'm just kidding. She, just, she has a question for whoever unloaded the dishwasher. So find her. Um, is there anything else? What? What folder? What? Am I supposed to announce something in my folder? I don't see any announcements in my folder. If everyone, you can just go through, come up the hallway into the fellowship hall. There'll be a table with food prepared on it, uh, hot dogs and hamburgers uh, and chips, fries and other things. There are two sides to this table, so please work both sides. Don't just all line up on one, work both sides, but come down the hall and enter through the double doors here. Then you'll see the table and of course sit wherever you like there in the fellowship hall at the tables. Okay. While the adults are having lunch, the children are going to be coming in here just momentarily for their closing assembly, which will last about 10 to 15 minutes. Um, after the adults have lunch, then we will have question and answer session. 
Um, and you can sign your kids out from, once we close in here, if your kids are old enough to where they would enjoy the back and forth and the questions, please check them out and, and bring them back there with the rest of us. If you choose for your kids to stay with their group, we will have a few members who've uh, decided to hang out with them. They're gonna provide games and keep them entertained if they're not quite mature enough to be able to enjoy the, the question and answer. Um, but we do ask that you pick them up promptly once we finish in here with our closing session. Um, we have burgers, hot dogs, chips, desserts, and everything ready for you. Zachary is going to, um, oh, please don't take your child and go home without confirming with your group leader that you're, you're checking them out, okay? Um, okay, and uh, Zachary's gonna lead us in prayer for the food, and then we're gonna be dismissed to the back. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this week we've had at VBS to fellowship, to learn from your word, but to learn about your great creation, your great design that you've given to all this world, dear Lord. We thank you so much for that, and we ask that you help us to be good stewards of those blessings of your creation to uh, continue it for many years. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the ones who have spent time to prepare the lunch for us, help us to enjoy that, to be thankful for it, uh, and help it to always to go to our bodies and, of course, us to your service. For we forgive us when we fail you. In Christ's name, amen.